Well, greetings and salutations, everybody. This is yet another episode of Fandom Talk, but not just any episode, because this is an episode of our recurring segment uh, every month where your hosts, me, um, Al Mattingly, also known as Red Lanyard, as well as my co-host, um, Jacob Vance Hardesty, the editor-in-chief of Fandom Correspondence. How are you, Jacob? I'm doing very well, Al, but... I have a question for you before we begin. Oh, what question is that? Have you ever heard the tragedy of Darth Plagueis the Wise? Ah, uh, well, that is not a story that a Jedi would tell you. It, it is. is a story that we would tell you. Mm. Uh, if you all haven't guessed it um, or haven't seen the title of the episode that um, you pulled up on your device... Um, this is the Star Wars EU review where we talk about all things Star Wars, um, old canon, new canon, books, comics, shows, whatever you got going for us. And this month, April 2023, we are talking about um, a little EU book, um, a little old canon, a little legends book called Darth Plagueis, written by famed Star Wars author, James Lucino. Uh, this was published in 2012. It was originally planned to come out in 2008, but was temporarily canceled for some reason or, or other. The reports on this cancellation still s seem kind of um, unsure. But uh, it was published in 2012, which means it was part of kind of the last wave of Star Wars books. Um, that came out before the Disney acquisition and before all of the old canon was kind of retconned and rewritten with um, all the new stuff. Um, this is a book, in case you could not guess, both from the title and also from the incredible segue that Jacob has given us. Uh, <laughs> this is a story about um, the infamous and mysterious Darth Plagueis, who is best known in Star Wars canon um, for being referenced in Episode 3, Revenge of the Sith, as the uh, mysterious Sith Lord who gradually learned to use the dark side of the Force to protect the ones he loved from dying. Mm. Um, we are going to get into whether or not that happens in this book, but... <laughs> <laughs> but it's... <laughs> before we, but before we do, uh, everyone, you may re you may realize or have already realized if you read this along with us, um, some things are not always quite as advertised when it comes to Darth Plagueis. But um, but um, before we get to that, uh, again, this is Star Wars EU or E Review. Uh, we talk about all things Star Wars. And uh, I do want to give just a little bit of a background on this. Uh, I'm on this one because um, it's kind of interesting. Um, and Jacob, feel free to jump in as well if you have anything else to add as well. But the overall context of when um, the book uh, Darth Plagueis came out was really intriguing. Um, it was originally slated for a 2008 release. And for anybody um, who is unsure about the kind of things that were going on in the EU um, in 2008. Um, of course, that's when um, um, that's when the new Clone Wars um, series came out. Um, 2008 saw 
a whole bunch of Star Wars books that came out. Um, the vast majority of them I'm referring to um, the legacy of the Force era um, of Star Wars EU, uh, which takes place well after um, the event of the original trilogy. Um, uh, 2008 also saw the, uh, the release of Coruscant Nights, the first book, which, uh, boy, we're going to have to cover Coruscant Nights series sometime because that's a good, um, that's just good fun. But uh, originally slated for 2008, eventually came out in 2012. And the reason why I bring up the release window is that we kind of see where a lot of the expanded lore for Star Wars is. At this point, um, because around that time, we see a lot of EU books that are being released that have a lot to do with the Sith and have a lot to do with the dark side. Um, so, for example, because I know all of you have asked me over over the speaker of your listening device, you're just like, Al, what kind of silly nonsense are you talking about? Um, but for example, um, in that time frame, we get um, the last of the Darth Bane books. In that time frame, we get um, uh, we get um, the Ravon book. We get the Undeceived book. Um, also about the Old Republic. Um, uh, we get uh, Shadow Games. We get uh, the Wrath of Darth Maul spinoff. We get a lot of things that have to do about the dark side of the force and about the lore of the Sith. And so come 2012, um, the EU, though unbeknownst at this point to a lot of people, is kind of reaching its twilight era. Uh, that's the expression and not on the book series. But um, it's kind of reaching the point where things are starting to wind down and we will soon see um, a changing of the guard um, in that um, that purview. So what we get is this book called Hearth Plagueis, which really very early on tries to establish itself as this kind of summary of things we have learned about the Sith, we have learned about the dark side up to this point, and shows what kinds of traditions and kinds of ideas from that history are retained and perpetuated forward. Uh, with Darth Plagueis and, of course, with his apprentice um, and Palpatine, and what ways that they change and the ways they deviate from that tradition as well. So um, it comes out at a really interesting time, and it comes out from the context of we've had all of these series and all of these books and all of these comics um, in recent years expanding upon what the dark side is and, and who the Sith users are. And that kind of is culminating in a lot of ways um, in this entry uh, by James Lucino. Uh, um, Jacob, is there anything else that you'd like to um, add on to that or any other uh, kind of context you'd like to provide? Well, um, well, I, I think it, it is. I'm glad you brought up uh, what year it was originally supposed to come out because I wasn't aware of that. Um <clears throat> I did not know it was supposed to come out in 2008. I first read this book, or I thought I did. There was so much I'd forgotten about this book. Um, about a year after it came out originally, uh, so around tw 2013 is around the time I read it. Um, 
But it's interesting rereading it because, like you said, it this is kind of the <clears throat> in a lot of ways this could easily be seen as like the culmination of the study of the Sith because you've had. I mean, every single Sith that has been at the forefront of anything prior to this has is name-dropped, with the exception of um, Malgus. But I think that's because, like you said, it was originally supposed to come out in 2008, which is, if I remember correctly, the same year that the Old Republic starts, I think. Mm-hmm. I, could be, I could be off on – or I, my years might be a bit off on that, but I know Malgus was not in the – he was not talked about the way that, at this point – Nihilus, Sion, Treya, uh, uh, Malak, Revan, Bane, Exarchoon, all, all of the all the classics that we knew already from the old legends uh, comics and books, um, they're all making of this, even to the point where one of my favorite parts, and I, I know we'll talk about it because Lord knows we'll talk about this part, um, but whenever Plagueis first sees Darth Maul, he immediately calls back to Exarchoon because they're both the two. At this point, they're the two most prominent um, double-bladed lightsaber users. Um, I can't mm. remember what I think the style is called Juyo or something like that. But they're the two most prominent people in the entirety of the Star Wars canon at this point that have ever used that. So, so no, I uh, that aspect of it and knowing when it was supposed to come out and because you are because I, I like. That it seemed like everyone was trying to do that. That that is kind of interesting, you know. After, after the Sith have had their their big triumphant moment in Revenge of the Sith in two thousand five, now it's like, okay, let's study all of them and why did they want this? What brought them here? So yeah, like you said, the Bane trilogy, um, <clears throat> the first Revan novel is a little bit after that. Um, Deceived, like you said, as uh, another as an old public book, and then everything leading up to this. So no, I've. Yeah, that's that pull, that helps me understand a lot more about this book. Uh, just that little bit of knowledge right right there. So yeah, I appreciate you saying that actually. Oh no, yeah, uh, that part of this book was very much uh, prevalent in my mind as I um, as I was going through it because um, I'm looking ahead to the future of this episode, everybody. Um, of course, one of the questions we always ask at the end of one of our Star Wars episodes is um you know does this fit into your um personal null on um, grand canon of of what all you include within your understanding of the star wars um history and timeline and things like that and this was prevalent in my mind um because with every uh, with every time that darth Plagueis just like drops a reference to some old republic Sith user and stuff and i read it and every time I'm just kind of like, okay, well, that's something else I'll k- keep in mind when I consider if I'm going <laughs> to hold on to this book in my grand canon or not. Because, uh, um, you know, Plagueis, you are really making it hard to <laughs> to to embrace any other alternative record of who the Sith were in the new canon. <laughs> because you're just like, oh, no, we are students of the past and we are going to honor every last Sith user that has ever lived right here in this book every time I speak. Um, so that was fun, and that's something that we'll explore more um, as we go. Um, but um, but um, t- to get into it now, though, um, so Darth Plagueis 
is broken up um, into um, three parts. Uh, that's kind of how this book is structured. Um, it's broken up into part one, um, uh, which is called the Enlistment. Uh, part two, which is called Apprenticed to Power, which is a very good name for that chapter. And then uh, part three, which is just called Mastery. Um, who these words or phrases are referring to truly in this book that is um, left to us to decide and interpret. But um, uh, with each of these parts, uh, to start out just kind of going over the content, um, I want to just touch on each of these parts of the book um, in turn. So um, in part one, we are introduced to um, kind of who Plagueis is, what Plagueis is, is up to. Um, we find out very quickly that um, Plagueis is not super long for this world because um, the prologue of this book um, begins with Palpatine killing him. So, um, so just kind of heading and narrative tone in general right there. Um, but um, it starts off with Plagueis um, hanging out, um, essentially, with um, his... Aster and the Sith, um, Darth Hennebris. And they are talking to each other. They are talking about like these business deals they have going on, about their plans and their schemes, as the Sith Lord tend to do. And then we see Darth Plagueis seeing an opportunity to betray his Aster, and he takes an opportunity, and he does so, and then he um, escapes on the planet, and he goes on to kind of like, um, kind of wax poetically about his past and about <laughs> and about the things he's done. Um, it's a very kind of entertaining introduction because you um, are just kind of alone with the thoughts of this Sith Lord there for a while. But um, Jacob, though, I'll start with you before I give. Um, my answer to this um what do you think about i'm just kind of on the opening part um of this book as far as establishing one what it's about and two um who darth Plagueis is because whenever i approach um books or comics or any kinds of um material or stories um, that seek to expand things um, about a world, then I want them to very quickly establish what it is they're adding either to the lore itself of that world or to the characters that we know and love or at least have heard of. So, um, check up with part one. How do you think um, um, James Lucino does as far as kind of finding things that are worth adding um, to what we know about this character. Sure. So, <clears throat> so for me, this book had three objectives. All right. And, and this, and, and this, I, I'm going to talk strictly about, about part one, I promise. But, but this book had three objectives and that is one to tell us about the history of the Sith and why everything led up to what Palpatine does Two to really really solidify the legitimacy the legitimacy of episode 1 
and three, to tell us who Darth Plagueis is as a, as a character. In my opinion, it does two of those things really, really well. Um, <clears throat> the Plagueis as a character, particularly in this first one, because you're not wrong, Waxing poetic is a really good way of of uh, of wording him in this in this early part because he is very much just like once once he kills his master he is very much just I am the greatest Sith that has ever existed I I'm I'm I am the last of them there no one else can challenge me okay and he's very much just to I mean. And all honesty, he's feeling himself. Like, like that, that's that's just it. Yeah. Like, like Plagueis is out on the town, man. Like he is set up, you know. Um, and just him as as a character in that sense is really interesting because no one can challenge him at this point. Um, so much so that when this random ass apprentice challenges him, like he. That is one of the most one-sided fights I've ever I've ever seen in like in any kind of form of Star Wars. I mean, General Grievous with the four arms in Episode Three looks like nothing compared to this um, because he takes down Venemus, this random ass apprentice, very very quickly. Um, it's so it's so uneven that like from the point of view of, <laughs> from the point of view of I guess he like he goes on autopilot. Yeah, like he even says, yeah, philosophize <laughs> about the force for a second before returning <laughs> to the fight and killing him. Um, and that aspect is interesting of it because everything that he is doing, he is telling you it's it's interesting because uh, the first part, I think the first and third parts are both really really good. I think the I think it drags heavy on the second part. Um. But in the first part, he really, Lucino really wants to get a lot of Sith lore just thrown at you very, very quickly. Um, and I like that. I have, I have no issues with that. I have no issues with trying, with attempting to understand where the dark side of the force is coming from and where the Sith are coming from in this. Um, this was the first time that I'd ever heard them say, or, or anyone write about them in the sense of, they believe that the dark side of the force is on their side. Like in the sense of they believe that that's what needs to happen to create balance within the force. Um, that's really interesting. <laughs> um, because I mean, of course you always, you know, writing one-on-one when it comes to character development with villains is what does your villain believe in and how is it antithetical to your hero? Lucino nails that in this when he's talking about the idea of the Sith and about the fact that everything they are doing is to attempt to make sure that the Force is balanced, that the Force is basically ex accepting going forward. Um, in a lot of ways, Plagueis views himself as I am, I am working towards the future. Um, what else is interesting about this, and this leads into a lot of other things, which really leads into, honestly, a religious discussion, but we won't get into that right now. Um, the Sith, since they do not have Force Ghosts, since the Sith do not appear as Force Ghosts, they always have to do something to achieve, like, eternal life, basically. Whereas with the Jedi, unless you are Ben Kenobi at the beginning of Heir to the Empire, um, 
they are part of the unifying force for all eternity, pretty much. Um, which I'm assuming Ben Kenobi is too. He he was just like, I don't feel like talking to Luke anymore. Um, I'm tired. I'm very I'm, old. I'm tired. I'm I'm going to sleep, man. Yeah. Um, but with the Sith, something that that has always kind of been interesting to me, and something that's kind of made them mildly sympathetic in the sense of in that kind of sense is they are seeking ways to live forever. They are seeking ways to, to, to attain that, um, which is where this book comes in because everything about Plagueis, even from the moment he is mentioned in episode three is he was the one who sought eternal life. Um, what I thought was interesting was that he talks about, excuse me, my dog is upset. Apparently Um, what I thought was interesting was that he talks about the fact that Exar Kun and Darth Bane and someone else, I think I think Adindu, the 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 one who has the holocron that Bane finds. Mm-hmm. Um, he talks about how their spirits carried on in different items, basically like poltergeists, for lack of a better term. But Plagueis, of course, wants eternal life. Like he wants his body to to survive and everything. Um, I thought that was really interesting because once again, you have more callbacks to things that we have, that if you're, if you've been reading Star Wars books, you've seen before. Um, so yeah, I, I don't know. I was, I really liked this opening part because like I said, I did like the uh, whole Sith history and everything. And that, I, that's all interesting, which we're going to get into more later this year. Mm. Uh, <laughs> um, but yeah, I was, I I like the first part personally. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, I don't think it's, um, it's bad by any means. Um, um, the one, uh, the one thing uh, I'll say about the very beginning of the book is that, um, it felt very satisfying to really, um, at least just, speaking for myself it felt very satisfying to see what kind of happens after a sith does the sith thing and betrays um and kills their master and becomes the master um because um you know you hear that like you know that's the thing with sith that happens you know they get um they find an apprentice they train that apprentice Eventually, uh, the apprentice will rebel against them, um, and one of them will kill the other. Um, the times we've seen that play out have been times of like big, grandiose, like huge, huge climactic things that are happening on screen. So like, we see like when Ada rebels and kills Palpatine in, in Return of the Jedi, you know. Um, uh, the Death Star is blowing up, so we don't really have a chance to see see that transition happen. And like, obviously, that's an exception because uh, Vader then um, he kills Palpatine as an act of returning towards the light, rather than as an act to like seize even greater power as a Sith. But um, um, and um, as well as in the Last um, Jedi, when we see Hilo kill Snoke. Um, he doesn't have a moment where he's he's just kind of like, oh, I'm the master now, uh, because all of the guards are trying to kill him, uh, <laughs> trying to kill him and Ray. So we don't really 
get anything there. Um, so it was satisfying to see that transition of power happen and then have enough downtime with the character afterwards to see what the thought process is, to see um, to see what they do next, to see where um, their priorities are um, afterwards. Um, and actually, we get to see that twice because it happens in the prologue when um, Palpatine kills Plagueis, and then it happens again um, um, in the beginning of the book um, in proper, where uh, Plagueis kills Tenebris. So it was satisfying to see that and kind of see the differences uh, between the two um, in the moment as well, because Palpatine, I think very accurately to his character, um, I'm in the prologue when Palpatine kills Plagueis, he talks about um, suddenly having a a like fear experience that Plagueis has somehow like propelled himself into the dark side to come back and get revenge on him. And I think that um, the the fear and um, the paranoia there is like a very good characteristic of Palpatine at that point. Because um, a lot of times when we see Palpatine, we see that those are kind of the primary things that kind of drive and motivate him. Um, and on the other hand, we see Plagueis guilt Hannibris, and, and in contrast, we see Plagueis kind of like have a moment where, as you so eloquently said, um, he's healing himself. And he's just <laughs> kind of like, yeah, that's right. I'm the last true descendant of the Path of Bane. Like, let's, let's go, baby. He's like, he's riding in his ship. He's like, listening to Jay-Z. He's doing great. Um, <laughs> and so, and so it's interesting to see um, on those contrasts and finally see an example of what the transition of power um, really is like. And so um, I liked um, that part of it for sure. Um, immediately after that, is where I start to kind of describe this book as a series of peaks and valleys in mm -hmm. a lot of ways, because there are peaks where Sith stuff is happening and like, Hey, that's why you bought this book. Probably mm -hmm. it's because you wanted to see Sith <laughs> stuff happen and you wanted to see fights and you wanted to see like, um, lectures about how the dark side works and he wants to, see these character dynamics i'm going off um and that's really cool and that happens for about like 20 to 30 pages and then after that it's just kind of like okay let's talk about the political landscape of the galaxy for about 80 pages yeah and then, and then you are gonna get something pretty cool at the end of those 80 pages but like <laughs> hang with me for a while <laughs> and and then so that moment where you start to realize as you've already alluded to just like ah, oh, it feels like james lucino is like really big fan of episode one because um he follows really, the first the, the, the three prequels in general yeah yeah he follows that um he follows that flow and that pacing very very much and i will say that like i think the the structure and the expansiveness of a book is much more better 
suited to that flow than a two-hour film. Um, because in the book, you're actually able to like spend some time with these characters and start to see the wheels turn and start to see some of the dynamics and some of the foreshadowing and things like that. So we'll say um, I probably enjoyed it a lot more in this book than I ever did in like um, episode one or episode two. But um, that part can be jarring for some readers. Sure. And I definitely had an experience at one point where uh, where Plagueis is talking about the various deals he has and various contacts he has, where I'm just kind of like, oh, my God, okay, who's who is this person? Who's this person <laughs> he's talking about now? How, how many... How many mun are there? I thought they were relatively rare. And he has introduced me to 28 mun. (laughs) (laughs) I can't keep up. Um, Do you think that that kind of aspect of like the flow and the pacing, would you say that it was definitely a point of distraction or like were you just like right there the whole time of just like, yeah, I want to hear more about how this oligarchy's run and stuff like that. <laughs> so, so for me, the, here's the thing. All right. I will, I will go to my grave defending the things I really like about episode one. I just will. All right. Um, I will. I also, I will stand here. Or t- technically I'm sitting. I will sit here and tell you, I do not believe there is wholly a bad star Wars movie. So let's just go ahead and start there. Every single one of them has merits. However, um, the problem with this, this book, and I do not think this is a bad book. I, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and just say that right now. I think James Luceno is a good writer. I think he does really well with this. Um, I, it makes me want to read some of the other stuff he has because I have them. I just haven't gotten around to reading them. Um, but his problem... <laughs> And it's the only, and it's the only reason that I, that I do think this this book does have some problems. It's that you do have all the Sith stuff, which is really cool, and then you get to the political side, and you're like, okay, cool, and then it keeps going, and you're like, man, I we we are getting way more into the political side because if you had a little bit of it, because I really because there are there are certain scenes where I'm like, oh, this is the beginning of like the Separatists in Episode Two. And this is how they got them like together, and they were really all under Plagueis's thumb pretty much at one point. All of that is really interesting. The problem is, is that's interesting for about ten pages, but it goes on for forty. So, and I'm not joking. Like you can, you like like that. You might think that I'm being, uh, <clears throat> you might think that I'm being uh, hyperbolic, but I'm not. That is. There are points of this where it just keeps going. And yeah, you get a little bit of Sith stuff sprinkled in there, but, and like more of like the overarching story that's interesting, but you get a lot of like learning who, who owes, who owes what debts to who, and how are they all connected to Plagueis through some way, shape, form, or fashion. Um, and then it also, it also makes you ask the, the ultimate question. Which I which I, I'm kind of skipping ahead. Please excuse me, but Al, I'm curious if you had this thought <clears throat> because about halfway through this book, my entire thought process was, how in the hell is he going to make him disappear? Because the thing is, is is like, yeah, he they talk they mention it like in passing of like 
of like Higo Damas, that that's Plagueis' real name. Higo Damas took a back seat after an assassination attempt. He really didn't. Like he's still there. And he still is like the main intermediary between like seven different groups of people that you would assume would would be like, hey, where's Higo? Like, and I could be wrong. Maybe I was the one who misread that. But at the end of this book, the only one who has direct contact to Palpatine is the Trade Federation. Now you could make the you could make the case that well, everyone else reports to the Trade Federation, who then reports to Palpatine. But that's not of all the things that it goes to great lengths to explain. That's the one that it doesn't really solidify is where that power vacuum is going to go when Damask dies. Once again, I could absolutely be wrong. Um, this, uh, another another small complaint is that this book definitely needs more Count Dooku, who I think was the entire, which I think there's a point where Lucina wants to do that, where he wants to be like, well, Count Dooku took over everything because he's he's the diplomat. He's ever, Everyone trusts Count Dooku because it's Count Dooku, and he's... Sure. And he looks like Christopher Lee, and he and his and his voice is one of the most soothing yet also terrifying things in the galaxy. Um, maybe that's what he was kind of going for, but he doesn't. He like he like gets to he like gets to the edge of the diving board and then doesn't jump into the water with with that with that story, um, which. Well, <laughs> which I think, I, well I'm, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Well, think like especially in terms of count. Dooku, I think um, he may have had eyes on a more Dooku's intrigue story. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he glanced down and realized he wrote, um, he's written 500 pages already and he's <laughs> just gotten to the end of episode one. Yeah. Um, so I <laughs> think like, like oh. that, like he really kind of ran out of time and space, mm-hmm. um, I think, for that to really come into fruition. Because by the end of the book, like there's only just like kind of like a a a tenuous kind of rotation happening at that point between Helpatine and Dooku because Dooku had a lot more contact with Aegis over the course of the book than he did with Helpatine. Mm. Yeah, and I just yeah, I mean. I think that's, I think ultimately the biggest issue I have with this um, is that Plagueis is a pretty interesting character. Dooku is an annoyingly complex and interesting character that I want to know so much more about. And then Palpatine is there. And I think that's where my big issue lies with this book and a lot of the other stuff, primarily Rise of Skywalker and a lot of the other things that have happened. Because Palpatine has never drawn me in of all the different mm. Star Wars villains. And I, and I know everyone always talks about, well, Palpatine is the one who won. Palpatine is the one who succeeds. And I get that. And here's the thing. This is him at his most, at his most interesting, in my opinion. Because being able to actually see the inner workings and see how he does win is his most interesting aspect. But the problem is that you have... 250 pages before you get there Mm. and Palpatine doesn't another reason that he doesn't really 
work with me as as a reader is because he doesn't have any character development, at least for me, because Plagueis even mentions that this kind of idea that Palpatine always had this evil side behind him. Um, and the same as Plagueis did, where they talk about how um, they both almost are devoid of emotion. Um, I think this is when I messaged you and Alyssa about uh, the idea of a sociopath, and which I, which I know is a uh, uh, is an outdated term, if I remember correctly, of what you said. Um, and that idea of someone who is devoid of emotion and does things just to see what will happen, like with other people, um, being mean to someone just to see what the reaction will be, being really kind to someone to see what the reaction will be. There's a point where Plagueis talks about him doing that, and he talks about seeing Palpatine do the same. And that aspect just does not intrigue me. Uh, and I know and I know I'm in the minority on that. I, I get it, because there's so many people who... I know I'm getting off on a tangent, and please excuse me, uh, and I promise we're going to get back around. Um, but I know there are so many people who obsess over, you know, true crime and different things like that, where it's like, well, how can someone be born that way or be born without that desire for emotion and for human connectivity? And you have these two characters who are just doing that in the middle of Star Wars. But I got to be honest, and, and, and I blame the fact that I was reading these books aside of it. Every single Evereni, I think is what their race is called, or how, the, how you pronounce it, that are shown in the High Republic books are way more interesting than Plagueis and Palpatine. And they basically have a similar thought process of, I'm going to make everyone work for me, but they are way more interesting <laughs> characters because of it. Um I don't know. Maybe maybe I'm wrong. Maybe you got a little bit more out of them than I did in this book of Plagueis and Palpatine and kind of their mentality, I guess. Would you say? Uh, well, um, well, let's get into it. Let's segue into part two here because sure, um, because like we see the transition in the book happen from part one to part two where. Um, Agus um, encounters Palpatine. He takes an interest in him. Um, I mean, he senses the force within him. I think uh, specifically he even says early on that he senses, like, um, specifically the dark side within him. Um, and, like, he wonders if Palpatine is able to, like, hold that within himself the same way he was um, as a child. <clears throat> um, excuse me. Um, but... I will say that I was not so annoyed by the presence of Palpatine in this book. This book is probably the most I've ever enjoyed Palpatine's character in general. Um, because prior to this, I also was like not interested in his character at all. He seemed to be like, he. Just, the issue I've always had with Palpatine is that, um, he seems like um, omnipotent in a lot of ways. Just the way that, like, he plans for every contingency and, like, somehow, no matter how convoluted his plan, everything still goes the right way and works out 
for him. And it just like, it feels hard to buy into that kind of idea of an antagonist, right? It's like, to me, Palpatine is the original version of, um, of the villains from season one of Young Justice, if you will, where at the end of every episode, after they've gotten their asses handed to them by a group of teenagers, uh, a Vandal Savage and and um, Alex Luther are just like, mm, yes, well, we got defeated in battle and all of our enemies have escaped and it cost us millions of dollars, but it's all going according to plan. <laughs> that is... <laughs> <laughs> that for a long time was what Palpatine was to me. <laughs> fair, just That's like fair. seemingly unrelated things will things would happen, and Palpatine would just be like, oh, "Yes, just as I've arranged it." <laughs> it's just like okay, but um, I will say I did enjoy him more in this book, and that's because the relationship, especially how the relationship starts uh, between himself. Um, and Darth Plagueis um, definitely made me think of him in a different way um, than I had before. Um, and it seems, it feels very obvious um, now in hindsight, but um, I saw very strong parallels between how, how Palpatine recruits and grooms Anakin over the course of Attack of the Clones and Revenge of the Sith, and how Halp Agus recruits and grooms Halpatine um, to be his apprentice as well. Um, those parallels were very strong um, in my um, in my reading of this book. Um, and that was very interesting to me because while the uh, the nature of the Sith relationship um, often strikes you as being like very power driven, very predatory. S seeing that get flipped on to Palpatine the other way was a very interesting experience to me, and I think that that interaction between them and that foundation of their relationship went a long way towards building up the character um, of Agus and over time building up the character of Palpatine as well because we see what Plagueis does we see that Plagueis has found an individual that is very similar to himself and that he's very capable he's very competent he he kind of isolates himself away from others. He has a lot of bitterness towards the people one would expect to have close ties to in their life. And he sees all of these things and he sees kind of a kindred spirit within him that um, he's able to see himself in, um, essentially. And sense that there's a lot of um, potential for power within Palpatine. And so he kind of takes him under his wing and plays with his emotions and plays with his his expectations and things like that to where he's in a good space to snap and to have an experience where he becomes entirely reliant upon this new figure in his life and we see that that's what he eventually does when palpatine um um eventually kills his family um 
<coughs> Excuse me. Um, I'm sorry, everybody. I'm hitting over a code. Um, but that's what we see happen here. And that part of it was much more interesting to me because as somebody who has studied a lot of psychology, who has studied um, a lot of like the true crime aspect of forensic psychology, that like something that you had alluded to, and I think is a commonly held assumption, um, even within the true crime um, fan base, which people who are actually invested in true crime should probably know better than what they do is that um, is this idea that like, you know, these people, these criminals, these serial killers, what have you are these, are these psychopathic animals who were born this way right out of the womb and what, and what history and what's science and research has shown us is that um, in real life that that is not the case. It's like ever the case um, because the case is like anything else. These people who are capable of doing horrendous things and these, and these people who are capable of having a strong hold over their emotions who are very manipulative of other people's emotions that they had experiences in their life, both emotional and physical as well that have led them to become the person that they are um so 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 you see that kind of trajectory within the lives of Plagueis and Palpatine as well um especially with Plagueis because we get a bit more information about his childhood than we do with Palpatine in this book and where Plagueis you know he felt different than everybody else and he felt kind of disenfranchised by um his species in a lot of ways because of like the politics that were going on with his father and um and on the mun planet and banks and things like that and um we saw that combined with this tension and uncertainty within himself very much imparted to him by his parents saying, hey, I know you can use the force, but don't tell anybody because if they know, you'll be t taken away. Um, that isn't the healthiest way to raise a child. But <laughs> you see these combination of factors that are gradually shaping him into the person he becomes so that by the time Tenemus comes and recruits him as his apprentice, um, that he's come to a place, he's developed to a place where he holds grudges against uh, the people in his life. And he holds grudges against kind of the galaxy at large because of the things that have happened to him and kind of the rough hand that he was dealt. And add to that the great power within the Force that's kind of stirring within him and that creates a lot of potential to become the type of person that Plagueis becomes. And we see those parallels with Palpatine as well. And then we go on to take it beyond the scope of this book to see those parallels with Anakin and Palpatine as, um, um, on those levels as well. 
So for it to be framed into this really toxic kind of relationship where they're encouraging each other to feast on the darkness within them and they're encouraging each other to split off these ties, but at the same time as he's encouraging Palpatine to do that, we see Plagueis kind of force himself into Palpatine's life and become something that he needs and something that he relies upon and something that he can't understand his life now without uh, without him, um, then that becomes a much more intriguing and a much more interesting uh, relationship to me. Um, obviously, it's horrible and very, very toxic and very manipulative, but I hadn't ever thought of that relationship in the scope of how the Sith recruit and train their apprentices. So that part of it was, uh, was really interesting to me. Um, I don't know if any of that kind of um, crossed over to you, or if I'm just a weird psychology nerd who thinks about that kind of stuff, but uh, that's kind of where I landed on how their relationship was depicted. Um, well, for, for, first and foremost, I do want to, um, I do want to clarify something. <clears throat> um, because I realized that some of my previous statements could have literally, uh, could have quite literally offended, I'd say, 80% of podcast listeners. Um, there's nothing wrong if you're into true crime and stuff like that. It's not really my jam. I want to clarify that. <laughs> um, I don't, I didn't want to receive messages just like, we're never listening to Phantom Talk ever again. You've, you've offended all of us. Um, <laughs> okay. uh, what do you say? <laughs> How dare you? <laughs> How dare I? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, I would also like to clarify uh, these these statements were were all read by me, not not Al. Do not be upset with Al at all. Um, <laughs> but but no, you 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 brought up a valid point because I had honestly I had to kind of read this in snippets. <clears throat> um, I w- I wish I'd had more time to just like sit down over like a full weekend. And just run through the novel. Um, but because I had to read it in snippets, I think I read probably part one maybe a month ago. And I had forgotten kind of how much he drew into Plagueis' childhood. Um, which, which you are correct. is That does everything involving that and, and involving um, the fact that his father basically disowned him throughout most of his life. And then... By the time that he did actually kind of accept who he was, he was already being taken away um, with Tenebrous. And that, that aspect does make him a little bit more interesting. Uh, my thoughts have not changed on Palpatine. And that's, and, and that's largely because of what, of what you said, because Palpatine's just not he's, – he's just not it, man. Um, but, but yeah. Um, what I will say, what is what is interesting about this, and and it's something that I've wanted all the, uh, I've wanted a film to go into this. And I'm hoping maybe the acolyte show will, um, because I have no idea what the acolyte's going to be about. Um, Sith training has always been interesting to me, um, and which is what which is exactly how part two opens, because it's ten years later, I think, roughly, mm-hmm. something something that effect, yeah. Um, Sith training is something that's always interested me because 
I knew that. I mean, of course, we see we see different scenes of Jedi training throughout uh, the different films, and we know that the Sith rely more on their their anger and their hatred and letting that fuel them. But we never actually really see that, or at least we never see that being taught in the in the films, with the exception of like Palpatine just saying "use your anger" or, or whatever. Um, what was interesting about this was we do see that and we see that it's pretty rough. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I did, I, I did kind of like that because I did like being able to, to see kind of how Palpatine was formed, how he really kind of became Sidious and became who he was. But I don't know the, the fact, the whole being born with basically the mark of evil for lack of a better term, I just never, it still just doesn't really hit, you know, but, um, but you did, you did kind of enlighten me about Plagueis a little bit, because I, 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 I had forgotten about that part. No, no, um, and I think that there's, I feel like there's a very <clears throat> interesting question of, of where, you know, um, what if, uh, before Palpatine had met Vegas and started down the path he went on. Um, what if the first horse user he met who t- took an interest in him was a one from the council instead, like um, a type of like um, a Qui-Gon Jinn um, or something like that? Um, how would that interposed mentor have have kind of altered the course of the type of person that Palpatine became. And um, I think that's always kind of a fun odd exercise for sure, but it kind of, it does kind of strike to this idea that I think is very much brought up, especially in this part two of the book of, you know, um, how much of who becomes evil and who becomes um one with the dark side or however you want to say it how much of that is influenced by just who they are inherently as an individual and how much of it is influenced by um the person who takes an interest in them and the person who takes an interest in their ability to use the force um and i think that that's kind of like a a subplot almost of this story of where like we do kind of have to ask you know if Palpatine had not ever met Agus then would he have gone on to just be like a a very accomplished senator on Abu or would he have still found a way to unleash his connection to the force and had become the tyrant that he was Um, And so that aspect of it was very interesting to me because we got to see, you know, very much the Palpatine we know from the films and from the stories we know um, is very much the person he is, uh, both because of inherently his identity as a person, but also very much because of who he who he clung to over the years um, and who he was kind of shaped by. Um, so, uh, 
I thought that that aspect was really interesting. Um, but speaking of chance encounters, I can't gloss over part two without talking about what happens on Dathomir. <laughs> yes, absolutely. <laughs> this part of the book was stupid. <laughs> I'm also, I'm convinced that was, I'm convinced that part specifically, <laughs> that is, that is 100% from the 2012 revisions. You, you know what I mean? <laughs> because, because that chapter, or at least that part of the chapter comes out of nowhere. And then it's not mentioned for what? 110 pages or something like that. It is. So that's, if I had to point out a problem with this book, like, yeah, like the pacing of flow is kind of all over the place and stuff like that. Um, but like, if there is a problem with this book, here's what it is. Okay. I am holding my copy of this book. I'm <laughs> holding it. The front cover is Palpatine. He's kind mm-hmm. of taking a knee in front of like the very large face of Darth Plagueis. Mm-hmm. I don't think he's actually that large. I don't know why they use that scale for that, but, um, but on the back cover is just a picture of Darth Maul. Mm-hmm. Okay. I feel like this is usually um, of the copy of this book that people buy the last few years. The entire back cover is a picture of Darth Maul. That leads me to think, oh, I bet you Darth Maul is in this book. And I'm only kind of right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm only somewhat correct on that assumption. Because Darth Maul, it's weird that, that this author seems so interested in the prequels, um, specifically in episode one. Because, man, Darth Maul, throughout this book, feels like an afterthought. Yeah. The story. Like, we see him, he's, for anyone who didn't read this book and is just kind of, like, listening along to find out what happens. So the way Palpatine comes into contact with Darth Maul for the first time is that Palpatine is at this, like, marketplace in Dathomir. He's checking out the people around him. He's checking out the goods and wares. He's approached by Zabrak woman, who's one of the Night Sisters, who says, hello, I have something for you. And Palpatine is just like, oh, what could you possibly have for me? And she pulls out a baby Darth Maul, just kind of hands him to him, and is just like, he's yours now, goodbye. And Palpatine <laughs> <laughs> kind of puts Darth Maul into a bag, and he's just kind of like, I guess... Guess I have a child now. I'll I'll figure out what to do with this in in a few hours. And then he goes back to perusing the goods at the marketplace. <laughs> and that sets a pretty good tone for what Darth Maul is in this book. Yeah. <laughs> because like <coughs> excuse me. Because we don't hear from Darth Maul again for a while. Yeah. And when we finally do, um, Palpatine casually mentions to Plagueis that he's just kind of like, oh, I have Darth Maul over on Mustafar, and he's just kind of carving up a bunch of droids, and he's um, he's, pr- <laughs> he's getting pretty good at it. So, um, <laughs> so I think that little side project is going pretty well. 
anyway, how are we going to assassinate the senator? And Plagueis is just kind of like, oh, you do love your projects, Palpatine. Anyway, I thought we could do this. And it's just like, y'all. <laughs> you have, like, there's so many. Because here's the thing. I, I don't think we get to see the first time Palpatine tells Plagueis about Maul. I don't think we get to see that. I think it's skimmed over enough that it's like a few years down the road mm-hmm. and then we come back to it and it's just like, oh yeah, you have a Zabrak just uh, just training with one of the Falleen, shout out to Shadows of the Empire, on <laughs> Mustafar, just kind of hanging out. Mm-hmm. How's that going? And Palpatine's just like, oh, good. I have him call me master and and Plagueis is just like, oh, 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 isn't that fun? And then they go do something else before they come back to Maul. And he's just like, what was Plagueis' first response? Because when Palpatine comes up to him, I kind of imagine in my head and going, hey, I found a, um, I found a death in of Brock who is like an infant. He's brand new, okay? And he has the force. And I'm just going to kind of hold on to him and just kind of train him. As somebody who semi-recently killed his own master, there had to have been a couple of a couple of alarms going off in Plagueis' head. Of just kind of like, hmm, I wonder what he's going to do with this force-sensitive, <laughs> attention-starved child. Like... like <laughs> But apparently he's not worried about it because the only real commentary we get from Plagueis on Maul is basically along the lines of, well, just be careful how much of affirmation you give him as far as being a true Sith. And then he says, I guess we could use him to kill a couple of our enemies. And that's it. And that is like, that is absolute Garbage. I do not accept that. I do not accept that that's all Plagueis has to say about Darth Maul. (laughs) For somebody who is paranoid about eliminating ways that he could be killed, for Plagueis to see a Dathomirian Zabrak trained in the Sith arts who uses a double-bladed lightsaber like Exar Kun and answers only to Palpatine... I need a little bit more substance on what Plagueis thinks of Maul. <laughs> but <laughs> am I wrong? <laughs> but but Al, if they focus too much on Plagueis' reactions to Maul, we couldn't understand how Pax's team is Plagueis' greatest enemy. <laughs> it's it's so insane. I get like the way <laughs> I don't know who think, 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 Just think about that for a second. The the senator who gets like three minutes of screen time and in, in episode one, if that, and then is the one and then is one of the people who is up against Palpatine for Supreme Chancellor, that person, his uncle is the person that is considered to be like the antagonist of this book for I'd say, you know, roughly 40% of the book. And yet, like you just said, they skip over 
Darth Plagueis having really any kind of thoughts about Darth Maul. So much so that when you get to the third part and Plagueis wants to, like, watch Darth Maul be told about t- about going to Tatooine and going to take on Qui-Gon and, 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 and Obi-Wan and then steal Padme, basically, when that scene in, in episode one where they're on the balcony, apparently Plagueis is, like, Behind like a two-way mirror or something. That's basically the way it's described. Mm. Um, do you know what I'm talking about, Al? Do you remember what I'm talking yeah, about? Yeah. The scene? Okay. Um, that's basically the way it's described in the book. Is that which made me imagine him like when Andy is hiding behind plants in the office. Um, which <laughs> let me tell you, made my enjoyment of the of those scenes go up way higher. Um, but 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 you're right because at that point he's paranoid, and my thought process has to be: Were you not paranoid whenever he first mentioned him? At that point, roughly like fifteen years ago. <laughs> which which, to be fair, when when he is paranoid in part three is after the assassination attempt because of course the 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 big crux at the end of part two is. Um, is they there's this big assassination attempt on on Plagueis, and it's he has to get like a uh, um, a respirator. Uh, it's effectively a respirator, but I think I think they call it something else. Mm-hmm. Um, basically, to help his breathing, um, he like he's really really messed up. He goes away like and basically takes like a massive sabbatical from pretty much everything for a while, and then Palpatine kind of takes everything over. Um, and then Palpatine goes and kills all the guys that tried to take him down and so on and so forth. Um, so I guess maybe it's, you're supposed to kind of be like, well, after, after there was an assassination attempt was the moment that Plagueis was like, oh, now I need to start being afraid of everything and really being concerned about these different things. But the entire point of the book has been his search for immortality. So... I'm kind of with you. Like at that point, I'd be like, "Oh, so a death of Mary Witch randomly handed you a child who is force sensitive, and you've been training him." Yeah, no, that should be okay. Like, like that's not that's not the way that that scene should go. That sounds um, like a problem for future Higo. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Now I just imagine him just like in Gone with the Wind, like with with Scarlett O'Hara just being like, uh, well, I can't worry about that today. I'll worry about that tomorrow. <laughs> it's, it's so insane because we because they show us throughout the book that they don't need a special assassin because throughout the book, both Plagueis and Palpatine work frequently with other assassins and other mercenaries and stuff that they like have like on speed dial in case they need somebody killed. So, (laughs) so like, at at no, you really expect me to believe that at no point (laughs) Darth Plagueis was just kind of like, so, so why are you doing this? So what, so what inspired this idea? (laughs) Because like, because he's because in Plagueis's mind, and he voices this to Palpatine, like you and I are going to be the last Sith. Like you and I are it. I'm yep. going to figure out 
how to make us live forever and we don't ever have to worry about like building a, a Sith Empire or recruiting any more Sith users or anything like that. That bro, you and I are it. And then like, and then Palpatine is just like, yes, yes, we are. I've also adopted a force sensitive child. But don't worry about that. <laughs> don't worry about it though. Yeah. He means nothing to me. <laughs> Which is Which, true, but still, that's, yeah, that's exactly. To, to be fair, like, like the the, the thing the thing is, is is that to be fair, and, and we are we are kind of brushing over this fact. There is never a point where Palpatine makes it seem like he is anything more than just a minion to be used when he is when necessary. But like sure. you, but one that still kind of makes Plagueis look stupid. <laughs> Even even though it does not go that way, it still kind of makes Plagueis look stupid because he should still be really more concerned about that situation. And two, um, you're not wrong. Like he, they have so much so. Hell, the uh, Saint Pestage, or, or however you say his name, is like oh an intermediary <laughs> to like like they. He's basically the uh, the Star Wars version of uh, Winston Wolf from Pulp Fiction. Like he he makes things happen basically. <laughs> um, <laughs> but like, which for the record, by the way, the reason I knew him and I knew uh, Janus Grigatis. These random ass characters, they are the dignitaries at the end of Return of the Jedi. Um, that Palpatine is talking to at one point, wherever uh, when when Vader goes and talks to him. But they're just such random characters that when they showed up, actually, that was my favorite part of the book. I was like, Thank you, Lord. Like, I want to meet James Luceno just to talk to him about the about. <laughs> Did someone tell you to use them, or are you like me and you already knew that those were Palpatine's best friends? Because <laughs> I was, I was interested. <laughs> uh, it's just, um, it's wild to me how how Darth Maul is both in this book. However, he's not because, like, we only get like. This isn't even full chapters. I want to say we get like two paragraphs from Darth Maul's perspective. Mm. And that's it. Um, yeah. And all Darth Maul really has to say is just like, oh, oh boy, I can't wait to kill some Jedi. Like, he loves it. He's he's in his element. <laughs> uh, <laughs> he's so excited to kill. He's so excited to kill Qui-Gon Jinn. Um, and so, yeah, that was just a weird. I could not allow us to talk about this book without talking about just how w how weird their treatment of Darth Maul is in this story. But um, anyway, that being said, um, uh, anyway, that being said, um, this does kind of bring us um, to part three of the book, where um, which the transitional event from part two to part three um, as you have already uh, said, Jacob, is the assassination attempt um, of Darth Plagueis, mm. which one of the issues I have with um, how Lucino wrote this book is that he very much wants us to, to get immediately invested in a brand new idea. Um, and I think that is very much on display 
with the assassination attempt of Higo Damask because it's set up to be this sacred ritual that the Muns do where it's like a transition of power and they like raise up one of um, the members of like their bank and their board to be like a new like member of the oligarchy um, essentially <clears throat> then it's shown that that uh, that in this case the ritual is a ruse it's all it's all just a it's all just a ploy to get he go to mosque somewhere where he's vulnerable and to kill him um which goes really well um i gotta say it's a good do they know like this is a legitimate question that i don't that i honestly do not recall do they know who he was like, did they know that he was like a Sith Lord? The, because if anyone tries to assassinate me and they send like eight guys with like giant ninja stars to do it, I will feel honored. Like, <laughs> <laughs> they're just like, how did you know he was a Sith Lord? They're just like, oh, I just, <laughs> I just thought he was an ass. I didn't. <laughs> I just, <laughs> um, just really wanted to make sure we killed him. Hang on. Because I thought... <clears throat> hang on. Because if... Because, one, I don't think they do know that he is a Sith Lord. Um, That's incredible. I don't think they do. <clears throat> Excuse me. But... What instead I think they do... Is I thought the assassins Yeah, aren't the assassins part of the Bandogora? <laughs> which which let me tell you <laughs> does mean more than you think. <laughs> they might be, yeah. I think they were because they might be, yeah, yeah. I thought that was the whole that was the whole point, is that they were part of the Bandogora, which for the for those of you who do not know what I am talking about, you can listen to our episode on the bounty hunter video game. No, um, you can, you can, but I will. It's, I'll, it's somewhere in there. What'd you say? I said it's somewhere in there. It is. It is. It's late. Um, the Bandogora were were these grouping of people who were like mildly force sensitive assassins who. If I remember correctly, um, like the whole thing that's because we were we're seeing it from the point of view of Plagueis, and what he's talking about is if anyone if they had sent any other kind of assassin, I started using force powers, they would have ran in fear. But because it's the Bandogora or what or whatever, um, whoever whoever it is, whoever it is, he mentions they show no fear because they are trained in fighting force sensitive people. Mm-hmm. Um, he says something to the effect of, um, like they have, uh, uh, like they're trained to hunt Jedi, like they've done it before. Most of them have. Um, it's not the Bandogora. It's something else because it's something that was made for, if not made for this novel, it was around the time of this novel, um, and they were trying to, because that's the interesting thing about Star Wars Legends books is that 
you basically had to read everything that everyone else was putting out because whenever you it was your turn to write something, you had to make different mentions to everything to make it all connected, which made the timeline and the continuity really, really screwy a couple times. Um, as we have alluded to in multiple different discussions of novelizations, um, this one included, but um, but I did think. Son of a, I'm trying to find that chapter where it happens, and I can't remember exactly where it does happen. Because I know it is towards the end of part two, like you said. But, but anyway. The Melodians. The what? The Melodians? Melodians, that's yeah. right. Because cause when it was first mentioned, I thought they were, uh, I thought that was the, because I completely forgotten what Aura Singh was. And so there was a part of me that I was a lot like what her race was. So there was a part of me that I was like, were the Melodians the, was that what Aura Singh was? Since that's, she kills Jedi and everything as a, as a bounty hunter. But no, it's just this random group that if they weren't created for this, they were created around the same time as this novel. Mm-hmm. But yeah, and anyway, I'm sorry, we focused on this way too much. Sorry, everybody. Yeah, but um, um, yeah. That was just like an interesting thing to me because um, he sets that up to like be like this really big climactic thing, which it kind of hits, but then it kind of does not because by the time the assassination attempt happens, your mind is still kind of like swirling about with like all of this new like small lore that he's introduced and mm. stuff, and it's just kind of like okay, this is. Something the Muns do. It's called the inner. It's called the inner cant. Okay, here's all these guys. Oh my. Oh, oh, oh my God! What's happening? Oh my God! And then, and then by the end of it, um, it's just kind of like you know, almost everybody's dead, including like this inner cant of, of the Muns, which was like how their society ran. Um, what's gonna happen with that? And I'm it just kind of like I just, of Sand Hill. And I'm just kind of just, and I'm just kind of like I don't, man, I don't really care. Like I just, <laughs> I don't, I'm sorry, <laughs> I don't really care about the repercussions to, 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 to the oligarch, to, to, to the oligarchical culture of the Muns. Like I'm still, what the hell is happening? <laughs> um, it is an interesting point because it does kind of. A point back to what I was talking about, where there's like a little bit more to the relationship between Plagueis and Palpatine than what one may think or assume. Because, you know, Palpatine is very much just like, I, I have to go. I have to go help him. And he does, and like he helps Plagueis up and he like tends to some of his wounds. And we see this like, new kind of intimacy that you would not expect to see between these men who are supposed to be like the most like the like on the most powerful incarnations of evil at the time in the galaxy and so you see this like uh kind of this like almost paternal kind of tenderness between the two of them 
in that scene. And like, it's just very, um, I don't know, it's very unexpected. And like, I kind of enjoyed it because it added kind of a new layer to their relationship as like, as horrible and twisted as that relationship is because it's, it's founded upon like abuse and manipulation. But um, I don't know. It, that was an interesting point of it. But um, but uh, we get to the to the last part, which very much focuses on the true rise of Palpatine through the Senate and um, kind of the like shadow decline of of Plagueis as well. <coughs> Excuse me. And and this is where we see a lot of these head up go down for um, the prequel films. And this is where we see a lot of Palpatine coming to um, the full status of who he, of who he is. Right. And so going back to something you talked about towards the beginning of the episode is this idea of like, you know, what's Palpatine's plan for after Plagueis goes, right? What's his, What's his plan as far as like what the fallout of that um, is going to be? And um, and my delayed response <laughs> um, to that now is that like you know I think it kind of shows that Palpatine it kind of shows like the true important difference between who Palpatine is and who Plagueis is because Palpatine is like is like the guy in the government now right mm. like he like he's formed a he's formed a bunch of alliances he's placed and built favors very strategically he's eliminated a lot of his enemies he's like endeared himself to the government and to the republic um and on the other hand we see that Plagueis has taken a step back from his roles, and while he's still a very important player in everything going on, the thing that's different about him compared to Palpatine is that he go to mask, as cruel as this is going to sound, he go to mask doesn't have any friends, right? Yeah. He doesn't have anybody like in his corner the same way that Palpatine does. So on a random Tuesday when everybody would presumably be like hey has anybody like seen he go in a while he was like in the capital and now he's like gone for like a couple days and like Palpatine hasn't said anything about him um i think to kind of quell a lot of that um is just kind of the fact that like um while Plagueis was very powerful and was very smart about the place he made he he didn't have the charisma that someone like Palpatine has. So like if Palpatine had disappeared, then everybody would just be like, "Where is Palpatine? That guy's probably the next chancellor. Like he's like involved in this and this and this and this and this and all these ongoing things. Like where is Palpatine? There is a hole that would be created if that duel had gone the other way." Whereas the way that it went, everybody was just kind of like, oh, guess that guy's gone now. It's a good thing we have Palpatine still to kind of 
guide us through whatever fallout there is of that. And so we kind of see that, like, I think there's an argument to be made there that that was intentional by Palpatine to, like, keep Plagueis out of the spotlight for a while. But I also think that that just kind of comes down to, like, on the differences in character uh, between the two individuals and the fact that, like, one person, just due to, like, the personality he put out there was going to be missed. And the other one was not, if that makes sense. Yeah, I <clears throat> I think you're right. And the the more I started thinking back to to this, particularly by the time you get to the third part, I, I had forgotten how much time passes between parts one and two. And so when he takes a back seat, when I mentioned earlier about like what is Palpatine's plan with how does he go to mass disappear, honestly you're right, it's because they wouldn't care. Um because by the time you get to part three, he hasn't been seen in like ten or fifteen years in the Senate, mm. and if if not even longer. Um, and also, like you said, I mean, Palpatine had become more. He was the char- He was the charismatic one. He was the one who could put on the facade, and Plagueis, on the other hand, I mean, he. Even he even talks about that early in the book where uh, where he's like, I've I've never really I've never really had anyone with me, Um, which I suppose in a lot of ways. Really, you could look at suppose in a lot of ways you could really kind of start looking at that in itself as a uh, as a question of where his character would go if he did have a different mentor and if life had kind of gone a little bit different for him. Uh, absolutely yeah but um one one thing i will say about part three though because it's my favorite part about part three is because i i told i was talking to josh about this book and i told him that part three is at least in my opinion compared to part two part three moves at a breakneck pace i read part three in probably two hours and mm. I am not a I am not a fast reader, um, but it's um, part three. The best part about it is that there is a point after you get after you hit a certain after there's a certain point. All of a sudden, it's if the Benny Hill music kicked in, and all it was was. Palpatine and Plagueis doing various things to make sure that everything happens perfectly in episode one, that would actually make sense. It's almost a comedy. How many things they have to do, including <laughs> my personal favorite part of Palpatine just constantly complaining about uh, Newt Gunray and Rune Hako and the rest of the Trade Federation be the absolute worst. Um yeah, it's that's that was my favorite part. That was also my favorite part of the book because I, I there there were there were points where I just started laughing. I was like, this is this is fantastic. <laughs> no, no, it's great. I love like the the small things like that that happen and stuff that like serve to set things up in the greater scale, but like are just kind of like petty in a way. Yeah. And stuff. <laughs> Like the entire the entire process of of trying of like the entire conspiracy really 
of getting Padme Amidala on the throne of Naboo yes. was like <laughs> awesome. Like, God, I would love to have been a fly on the wall when like um <laughs> when Plagueis and Palpatine and like their A team were just kind of like strategizing and Palpatine was just kind of like, what if we put a 13-year-old girl on the throne? And Plagueis was just like, that, oh my god, yes, let's do it. <laughs> That's genius. <laughs> is there a chance that she'll win? And Palpatine is just like, oh, probably after I kill everybody who supports the, her competition. <laughs> it's, like, it's, it's awesome. It's great. Um, but, uh, no, no, it's good. It's very good way to, like, build up the world and like that's hard to do when it's like immediately before something that's very well known right and so like the way that they were still able to do that in an interesting way even though like we knew exactly the story beats um, that were going to come from that anyway um, um was very impressive i think that was where honestly uh, james lucino was at his best is when he was like um, sowing the seeds of like all of the storylines of the prequel films, like and doing it in like a fun and interesting way at the same time. I thought that was really really good. Yeah. Um. Now, um, I do have. I'll be honest, y'all. I do have a bit more that I would like to talk about with this book. Okay, but here's what I'm gonna do. Okay. Everybody hanging with me out there? Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to take a lot of these. I won't say a lot. I'm going to take a couple of these questions and a couple of these ideas that I would love to talk to my friend Jacob about with this book. And I'm going to hold on to them for a couple of months. Okay? <laughs> because I think they will be much, much more relevant to talk about and discuss uh, when we cover um, special official announcement here in this episode. When Yay. we cover, for Sith Lord Summer 2023, the Darth Bane trilogy. Yep. Um, because I have this crazy conspiracy theory about Palpatine that... I would like to share uh, with everybody. But first, I think we need just a little bit more context of what the Sith and the history of the Sith in Star Wars is. So I want y'all to kind of hold on to that, kind of keep that close to your chest, and we will revisit these last couple of points in a couple of months, okay? Are you good with that, Jacob, as well? I am fascinated. Um, yes, I'm I'm very excited about that now. <laughs> I was already excited for Sith Lord Summer, but Sith Lord I'm Summer. more excited now. Um, okay, so now um, we, as we kind of come to a close here, uh, we have our last two questions that we always answer, which is what was the hypest moment for each of us? Just the part that was just so cool and got us so excited and uh where does this story fit into our grand canon of the star wars timeline which is going to be an interesting one this time i think um yes. so jacob i'll start with you give me your hypest thing that happened in the book darth plagueis 
so so here's the thing. I mean, you you mentioned just from from pure hype moments. I mean, I there are so many different cameos and different things. That I was like, oh, that's kind of cool if that's in there. But when it comes to an actual hype moment, <laughs> when he is attacked by the Maladians, there is a point where not even using the force, he grabs one of them by the face. Like, literally just grabs, like, their entire head in his hand and just hurls them across the wall, uh, uh, like, across the room into a wall. And I know it's a small moment, but when they said that that was what he, that that's what he did, I was like, that is one of the coolest things I've ever heard. Um, so, so yeah, so I'm going to, I'm going to go against, uh, for, for Darth Plagueis defending against the Maladians, particularly that scene where he hurls the dude into a wall. Um which I recently found a beautiful fan art of that I will share with the class later. <laughs> Incredible. Excellent. Excellent. <laughs> Excuse me. Um, yeah, that's a great, that's a great choice. Um, for mine, I'm going to go to the beginning of part two, where we see um, Plagueis and Palpatine um, are training with each other. And they're basically going for a hunt on this planet um they're finding just various species to like run after and stalk and use the force to kill um and um plagueis is giving like small kind of training tidbits to palpatine as they do this and um there's a point where plagueis is describing to palpatine how a sith opens himself to the dark side of the force and one of the lines he says is that um, you have to put yourself in the role of your prey. And you have to be able to see things from their eyes and from their perspective. Because the true way that a Sith gets in touch with the dark side is that they make themselves as desirable to the dark side of the force as possible. And I think that is the first time I've really heard a concrete example of how Sith understand the force as opposed to how the Jedi understand the force. In in that, you know, the whole debate is that uh, the Jedi try to commune with the force and connect to it and almost get lost in the vastness of it. Right, that's like the Jedi's approach to what the Force is. Whereas with the Sith, the idea has always been, you know, the um, the Sith try to use the Force as a tool, and they're trying to like subjugate it. And that difference in philosophy is still there with that line, but the way that it's flavored with uh, with Plagueis saying, you know. We need to appear to the dark side as if we're lost without it, almost, right? Because that brings the dark side to us, and that gives us a chance to envelop ourselves in it and feel the power of it. And I just thought that that was just a really cool parallel that hatched up with so much of what we've seen the Sith do up to that point. Um, it's like a, like a parallel to, like, how Plagueis sought after Palpatine and that, you know, he went to him, he made himself seem interesting. He made himself seem like a person who was powerful, who had influence, 
who was looking to change the world, and he made himself be as desirable of a eater to Palpatine as he could. And that gave him power and manipulation over Palpatine. And how was he able to do that so well? Is because that's how the Sith understands what the Force is, right? Is to make yourself desirable to the Force and then use that lure to kind of take control of it. Um, I just thought that, uh, that, uh, that that was really cool. I was just like, that was one of the few points in this book where I stopped and I was just kind of like, whoa, that's... <laughs> That's really raw. That's that's like that's pretty sick. So, um, um, yeah, I like that part a lot. Um, now, as we close, Jacob. With Tarth Plagueis being a very popular Star Wars book. Like, this is one of those that a lot of people really like. Um, yeah. Does Darth Plagueis earn a spot in Jacob Hardesty's grand canon of Star Wars? So, as you have said, a lot of people like this book. There are people who have called this the best Star Wars book of all time. Um, yeah, I'm not sure I would and agree with that, but all right. I, I, I do not. <laughs> um, I do think it's good. I, I will. I will not. I will not deny that it is. It is a good book. Um, and it's an entertaining book. If someone was like, "Hey, I want to learn more about the Sith. I want to learn more. I do want to learn more about Palpatine and about Plagueis. Is it worth reading?" Yeah, absolutely, it is. It is not in my grand canon, and I will tell you why. So, the biggest issue with reading any Legends book right now, particularly when it involves anything near the time period of the films. What is what we are slowly seeing is that something has come along to replace aspects of that better, in my opinion. Now, there are certain there are certain ones where this kind of has a crossover. There's a lot of people. I think we might have mentioned it before on. I know you and I have personally, but I can't remember if we mentioned it on the podcast where some people say that um, E.K. Johnston's novel Ahsoka is basically undone by Clone Wars Season 7 and then the Tales of the Jedi episodes with Ahsoka in them. I have not read the novel yet. From what I have understood, it doesn't do it as bad as what some do, so it's not that bad. With this, however, speaking of Tales of the Jedi, the first reason that this can't be part of my grand canon is that everything about Dooku and his turn works better in Tales of the Jedi. Even with our discussion of how Yaddle as a character is not the best. Um, although, I, I love you, Bryce Dallas Howard. It was not your fault. And and I think Yaddle's supposed to be that way, so it's, it's okay. Um, everything about Dooku in that series. I was re-watching it just the other day. because and, and, and everyone should. Even if you don't want to sit down and watch everything, watch those three episodes. It's maybe 40 minutes and trust me, it's some of the better, like, it's some of the better supplemental, supplementary material you're ever going to get from Star Wars. Video games, shows, books, anything. Um, and I feel like most people would agree with me on that. Because it's just very, very well done. Dooku in that is a complex character who 
is slowly dealing with the disassociation of everything that he has ever really known about the Jedi Order and about who he is as a person. Dooku in this, nothing against James Luceno, nothing against Dooku in it, because Dooku was a very entertaining part of this book, but Dooku in this, in a lot of ways, is just like, yeah, they kind of pissed me off. I'm just kind of done with them. And that's not... If if I am reading the final Dooku chapter the same way that I watched like Mean Girls, that's there's a problem <laughs> because and, and, and I don't and I don't feel I'm too far off, but there's a problem there because the ending of this chapter should be this man has left everything he has ever known behind, and it should be a bigger issue, even to the point where. In, and, and I'm spoiling parts of Tales of the Jedi. I'm going to go ahead and do it because, because there's a line in here that really throws me off. Because in Tales of the Jedi, the entire third, third Dooku episode is basically about the last straw of him really wanting to – really deciding to leave and devote everything he is to, to being a Sith and to turning his back on everything is Qui-Gon's death. Which, in this, uh, Palpatine mentions at one point something, I, forgive me, I'm paraphrasing, but it's something to the effect of, like, did, Pal- did Qui-Gon's death really mean nothing to you? And he was basically just like, it was kind of, uh, it was basically the last straw. Which, he says it was the last straw, but he says it like a, like, uh, they, they forgot my fries in the order. You know, I, I just, I, it was just, just a terrible day all around. That's the way he says it. And for me... I could not have something in my grand canon that was taking, in my opinion, the older I've gotten, the more interesting Dooku is as a character. And in my opinion, to take a character like that and to take the fallen Jedi aspect and to just make it into basically a decision he makes over a week, which, for the record, I know it is it is set up earlier in the book. I get that, okay? I'm not trying to deny that, but he plays it off so just passe like like it's 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 just something oh i decided this week i i've i don't think i want to do anything with the jedi anymore (laughs) it just doesn't work at least at least to me i could be wrong um so that's one that's one tell you what i'm gonna do one thing that i that makes it absolutely not part of my grand canon one thing that kind of makes it kind of part of my grand canon and then one that just should never be mentioned ever again in anyone's canon so forgive me for taking a little bit of time, but the second one is the one that was kind of like, ah, okay, I, I kind of like that. So everyone by now has seen the TikTok of Dave Filoni talking about what Duel of the Fates actually means. Have, do you know what I'm talking about, Al? Have you seen this? Um, No, I'm not on. No. No? Okay. So, okay, I, I was wrong. All right. Well, to basically explain it. The main thing that he is talking about is the reason it's called Duel of the Fates, which even John Williams has talked about this before, and George Lucas himself has talked about it. The main reason is that the fight is called Duel of the Fates between Obi-Wan, Qui-Gon, and Darth Maul is that if Qui-Gon lives, the rest of Star Wars does not happen. Right. Because if Qui-Gon is there to be there for Anakin as the actual father figure, as opposed to Obi-Wan being more so like a brother... um. N- nothing happens the same way. Qui-Gon is there. Qui-Gon basically saves the day. So Qui-Gon... Okay, I've heard that idea before. Yeah. Yes. So Qui-Gon's death is what really sets um, 
is what really sets the rest of Star Wars in motion. Which is also, <laughs> which is why the scene with Dooku is so annoying <laughs> in the book, because that is evident in Tales of the Jedi with Qui-Gon's death is what turns Dooku, whereas in this, it's just, it, if, it's kind of like Jamie's turn in, in, in season eight. If he had turned and was just like, like, if he had turned to, to Palpatine and was just like, I never really cared about Qui-Gon. Like, it would it would have basically been the same thing. <laughs> um, but anyways... <laughs> Um, there's a Game of Thrones reference for anybody. Um, hey. hey. <laughs> um, but, um, but there is a point where Plagueis hears about, it kind of ties into what I hate about this, but it also ties into to this part I liked. Because there's a point where Plagueis hears about who Anakin is. And he hears about him being this you know, this boy that's very powerful with the force and everything. He's like, he's basically just like, I have to see this child. Okay. So I'm imagining this old hobbled old man who like with, with breathing problems is like skulking around the halls of Coruscant. Like, where's the child? Um, but <laughs> with the Naboo guard who opens the door, God bless that man. Um, but um, <laughs> when he does finally see him, once again, just for anyone who you know who knows Episode One decently well, I mean, and everyone knows this scene. What he sees is far off. He sees the scene where Palpat, where uh, Qui Gon is explaining midichlorians to Anakin. All right. Which, for the by the way, we have talked this entire episode without talking about midichlorians, and let me tell you, they are all over this book. But honestly. Uh, it's uh, whatever, you know, it's, it was a weird concept that we have basically thrown away and I'm okay with that. Um, but he's, it's when he's talking to Anakin about that and Plagueis looks into the future or, or tries to look into the future as best he can. And what he sees is he sees like, he sees like the battle of Geonosis. He sees, um, uh, what he says is like I think he says something to like a a a space station to end the like the safety of the galaxy or something to that effect, um, and then he talks about seeing a cyborg in black, and it is at that point where he said that the the chapter just ends with Qui Gon has to die, which that part I actually liked because I was like I mean that that ties into everything else that people have said and honestly. I kind of like that aspect. I really do because it even ties in with the entire, with kind of what we've been working towards in this with Plagueis luring Palpatine basically for all intents and purposes and the dark side or, and how Sith, like you said, lure the dark side itself and lure the force to them to use it to their own purposes. It really, it really plays well with that. So I really like that part. So that part might be in my grand canon. However, Okay, and I have recently looked this up. This has now been disproven in new in the in the current canon, and I am okay with it. I hate the idea that Plagueis and Palpatine created Anakin. I hate it so much. I it at at worst or at best, it just seems kind of stupid. Because if they could do that, then hadn't they basically cracked the entire, like, mystery of the Force? But at worst, it makes me feel really, really icky. 
because <laughs> it just does. <laughs> and that's and 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 I don't use that term mildly, mind you. <laughs> um no, when you when you have that scene where cuz cuz yes, I rewatched episode 1, so it's fresh in my mind after I read this because I was like I knew I was going to reference it while talking about this book. Um when you have that scene where where Shmi Skywalker says there was no father, I carried him, I gave birth, I can't explain what happened. You have that, and you and what you're supposed to draw from that is oh, the Force just gave us Anakin. It was just he was literally born from the Force itself. Okay, that concept is it kind of silly? Is it kind of weird? Sure. It works a lot better as opposed to like viewing Plagueis and Palpatine as this like as this like mad scientist duo over a holocron, um, trying to create this life somewhere out in the galaxy, and then all of a sudden this oh, I guess this boy that shows up nine years later happened to be the one the child we created years ago. I I hate that concept. They have since um. They have since retconned it. Um, there's a point in the Charles Soule comics where it is referenced, but the entire point of that scene, and even Charles Soule and the editor of the comics said it, that the entire point of that scene is that Palpatine keeps telling Anakin that to draw him in more. So that way Palpatine is literally trying to be a, mater- a uh, maternal, a paternal figure for Darth Vader as a character, which works so much better that it would be a lie. So, yeah, it, it can't be part of my Grand Canyon because I hate the concept of them having actually created Anakin. However, I like it much more whenever it is a lie to make Anakin turn and stay Darth Vader. <coughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, that's a very... That's about as comprehensive a look at the... <laughs> at the pros and cons of this book as you're going to get. Um, <laughs> no, no. Uh, it was fine, yeah. Um, I'm like... I'm like along the same um, ideas. Um, I don't like the characterization of Dooku in this either. Um, <clears throat> um, for um, a lot of the reasons that you don't. Um, I also just... I can't get over that origin story for Maul. Like... Darth Maul, that character has become something greater and more important um, than George Lucas ever intended him to. Sure. Um, which I think is good because I think Darth Maul, in a lot of ways, has become a really great character. Um, I can't get over just how. Easy of writing it is of just being like, oh, how did Palpatine get Maul? Um, he was given him randomly on a day when he was at the mall in Tathomir, and in fact, that's how he got his name. That's all you need to know. I was just like, what? no, <laughs> that's horrible. And if we're adopting this book into our grand canon, like, sorry, that's the origin of Darth Maul. That's what you got. Um, so that's um, a big reason for me as well. But um, 
I'm at the end of the day, no, I do agree that the biggest issue here is like this idea that um, the greatest accomplish the greatest accomplishment of Palpatine and Plagueis as a team was like this weird um, on consensual pregnancy they did to a slave on Tatooine. That's just like I understand that these guys are like evil incarnate in this book but like there's just no need for that there's no <laughs> there's yeah. no need to like kind of turn that crank up to a heaven <laughs> that way um and it just i agree it detracts overall from the story and from just like the legacy of those characters in my mind because it's just so unnecessary but um no, while, it, uh, while I think this book does a lot of interesting things, and while I think it does a lot of interesting um, character work that you don't see very often uh, with these kinds of characters, um, I, I'm at the end of the day, there's just, there are too many flaws in this and too many things that just honestly haven't aged well in light of like uh, the new canon stuff we've gotten that I'm just kind of like, well, no, of course I don't want this over over that. Like, why would I? So um, so it's one of those things. But um, mm. it is hard to, hard to argue about how important uh, this book is because if you go up to anybody who has read a Star Wars book, usually it's Heir to the Empire. If it isn't Heir, Heir to the Empire, it's usually Hearth Plagueis. Yeah. Um, that's kind of how it goes. But um, now, um, Jacob, thank you so much for and just a whale of a good time with yeah. this book that does just some really good stuff and some really weird and strange and confusing stuff. So I appreciate it yeah. as always. <laughs> um, um, and everybody, we appreciate you. We appreciate you for hanging out with us um, and listening to us um, wax poetic. About mm. Star Wars, uh, much the same, <laughs> much the same that um, a particular man does about his past. Um, oh, we really do appreciate um, y'all hanging out with us. Um, we have way more coming um, next month. We are doing um, the event comic War of the Bounty Hunters. That is Ooh. a new canon comic book entertainment coming right f- f- for you. Uh, so don't miss out on that. Um, and then, as we already said, in the coming months, we're going to be doing the Darth Bane trilogy for Sith Lords Summer. Um, that's going to be a very, very fun event. Uh, we're Which... going to be revisiting some stuff in this book up to then. So be sure to keep that in mind. And I then... do have a question for you, Al, real quick. Of course. Because have you read the Darth Bane trilogy before? No, no, I have not. Yet. See, okay, you're going to find this weird. Neither have I. It's well, one of it's one of the few things, like, everyone's always told me, like, you need to check them out. And I know most of the story, but I've never actually read all three novels. So I'm I'm, I'm with you. I'm, I'm really excited to jump into those. So, yeah. yeah. Um, and then, of course, to close, um, I would be remiss if I did not plug this excellent episode that um, our fellow Phantom Correspondent, Josh, and um, our wonderful, wonderful elaborator, Chase, 
did a couple weeks ago. Uh, they recorded an exhaustive guide to the NBA 2023 playoffs. Um, if you're into sports, if you're into sports analysis, if you're into just guys talking about dudes and how they play, um, that episode is excellent about as um, wide and deep of analysis of this year's playoffs as you are going to find. Um, so be sure to check that out as well. Um, and as always, everybody, fandom is for everyone. So, so be sure to get in us on um, social media and the comments, all that good stuff. Um, hit us up on Instagram and Twitter and everywhere we are. Um, and let us know what you thought about this book, about other books you've read, about whatever you're into, because we love to hear about it. So thank you very much. And y'all stay safe. <laughs>